0: Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. And today we're going to discuss a subject that uh, I think is of tremendous interest. You know, we've been talking a lot about the CBD, cannabidiol. Uh, but cannabidiol is just part of the spectrum of the potential benefits of what's sometimes referred to as medical marijuana. We prefer the term medical cannabis because medical marijuana has the connotation of, uh, you know, scoring with a dealer. And uh, clandestinely smoking a joint. Uh, if you think that this uh, phenomenon is a, a youth phenomenon, uh, take a listen to this. Uh, this is an article that I called from a business magazine. It's the Business Financial Post. Headline, the new gray market as older users warm up to cannabis. Pot companies want to learn more. And the idea is that uh, some baby boomers, you know, maybe they've tried pot, you know, in college, they kind of grew out of it. They think it's silly or maybe it uh, they had adverse effects. They felt uh, anxious or paranoid uh, or hyper, uh, but they may be coming back to it. It turns out that uh, in a survey of uh, several states, Oregon, Colorado, Washington, Nevada, and California, seniors make up 25% of the overall number of cannabis consumers. And uh, one of the... Uh, uh, directors of research for one of these firms that's trying to move uh, medical marijuana in the mainstream. They say, quote, there's this category of seniors of the baby boomer demographic who used to consume cannabis in their youth, gave it a rest in their professional life, and are now getting more curious about it for medical reasons. So today we're going to talk to an expert. Uh, she's Patricia Fry. She's an MD. And she is a specialist uh, in the prescribing and dispensing of all things related to cannabis. And it's a great pleasure having you on the program. Uh, she's written a book entitled The Medical Marijuana Guide, Cannabis in Your Health. And it's an excellent book. I recommend it very highly for anybody who wants to embark on this journey. Uh, Dr. Fried's pleasure. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: My, my pleasure. So first of all, how did you get involved with this? It, you know, in reading the book, it sounds like it was a little... Serendipitous that you got into uh, this area.
1: It was. I was looking for another type of job, and um, I had my California license. was looking for a telemedicine job, and um, a headhunter called me about um, doing medical marijuana evaluations. And I told so him, "I was just a gig. It was, just a gig. It was just
0: a gig, like you know, yeah, okay, right? Yeah. Yeah. but I,
1: but I didn't know anything about it, and I was a little hesitant, but it worked out."
0: And, and, and you, you brought a certain element of skepticism too, because you know you didn't say, "Wow, you know I smoke pot every day. I'm a big advocate of that. see it, you're, you know you've, you've tried it, you've inhaled as they uh, mm-hmm. some famous politicians have, have said. Uh, but uh, you approached it more from a, a medical and clinical standpoint. That's one of the things I really like about your book. It's not like uh, an unadulterated rave about uh, using these uh, substances. It's a very careful, uh, scientifically resourced uh, evaluation of, you know, how these might be helpful to people with various mm-hmm. conditions, right?
1: Exactly. I, um, I, I, I did not ever see, I never really caught on to cannabis in college or high school and never even gave it a thought. But once I was in this position where I needed to evaluate patients for it, I felt like I needed to know something about the plant. And um, four years later, I feel like I really do understand this plant and it does have a place um, in um, medical practice and my, my hope is that other physicians will learn more about the plant, become more familiar with it and more comfortable with it and offer it as an alternative to pharmaceuticals for some of the symptoms that their patients are experiencing.
0: Right, so there's a, you recount that there's sort of a long uh, history of uh, the use of hemp derived products and uh, marijuana derived products for medicinal purposes. And, you know, that kind of places these compounds within the arsenal of uh, herbal medicine, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, mankind has had a long term relationship with this plant. It was probably the first cultivated plant, and it's been used as a medicine for about 5,000 years. It's only been illegal for about 75 years, but it's been a part of herbal medicine in many cultures um, for uh, centuries.
0: And it's a little bit of a dark past when it comes to its prohibition because uh, you uh, muster evidence that um, the powers that be you know, after the re of alcohol uh, in the 30s mm-hmm. Uh, They needed something to do, so they kind of turned on Mm -hmm. pot. Plus, there was also some issues with uh, the hemp industry that, you know, got competition from uh, manufacturers of other uh, synthetic uh, uh, plastics like DuPont and so on, uh, Mm -hmm. that maybe they wanted to suppress the hemp industry.
1: Absolutely. Hemp was a required crop of the 13 colonies. It's useful for making paper and rope and and fiber, uh, you know, for clothing. And around that time, um, they were repealing the 18th or, you know, Amendment with, they were legalizing alcohol. Um, the new, the director of this newly found, um Bureau, Federal Bureau of Narcotics needed something else to go after. He was married to, um, Andrew Mellon's niece. And Andrew Mellon was the financier for the DuPonts who were coming out with nylon and synthetic, um, paints. And so it was kind of a, a little bit of a perfect storm that, um, that cannabis kind of got caught up in because it was a, a, a prescription medication. It had been on the U S pharmacopoeia for almost a hundred years and there was, there were really no problems with it. And so because of these financial issues where hemp was, would, would have been a, um, a, a competitor in that it was so economical to use and we had this director of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics who needed a new project to keep his funding going um, and then at that time if you weren't using it was using it uh, sort of for anxiety and what we would call recreational it was, um, it, it was used a lot by the Mexican soldiers um, because they preferred it alcohol because they, it could help them relax and could kind of get a good night's sleep and they didn't have a hangover the next day. So the population that was really using it was an easy target as well.
0: So there's a certain, uh, shall we say, racist element to that, too, because, you know, I, I recall when I was a high school student, I'm a baby boomer, uh, they showed us a film called uh, Reefer Madness. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, they, basically they were saying that uh, this was uh, something that was used by the underclass by uh, blacks, by uh, Mexicans, uh, by uh, mm-hmm. crazy eccentric jazz musicians. And uh, mm-hmm. it it basically made him crazy. You know, it was like, and it made him addicted too. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the issue of dependency because I think that's important. But, you know, mm-hmm. so, something that I think is important to get out in front of is, you know, this whole issue of um, legalizing medical marijuana. It's a, it's a big issue. It's a cause celeb. A lot of states have done it, but... Does legalization of uh, medical cannabis open the door to wide stream availability? Is it in effect condoning it? So, for example, you know, we have, you know, oxycodone is legal, you know, for prescribing purposes that there are medical applications for pain. But merely by making it available, there's a big, uh, you know, subculture that's been an embrace of this very addictive medication. And uh, similarly, you know, morphine is great for pain. But uh, the fact that morphine got invented uh, led to uh, recreational use of heroin, and uh, we're off to the races with a a deadly uh, heroin epidemic. So, you know, how do we address that concern?
1: Well, it is a concern. Um, There is, um, cannabis has an addiction rate of about 9%, and it's most commonly um, um, an issue in young males 18 to 26 that are using it recreationally and um, with like any, sub- any substance that gives any type of intoxicating effect or euphoric effect, um, there's there's a risk that some people will misuse it or abuse it um, and, and that's a concern especially in adolescents because their brains are still developing but with adults, whether they use it medicinally or whether they use it because they're going to misuse or abuse something, at least the cannabis will not kill them. Um, you know, if you overdose on opioids, you stop breathing. You get respiratory arrest,
0: yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. and if you, if you overdose on cocaine, you can, you know, your heart can go into an arrhythmia. If you overdose on Tylenol, your liver can shut down. If you overdose on cannabis, you'll be sick and nauseous and maybe paranoid, but you will live through the experience. And though um, no, not to use that much again. It's impossible to take a dose that's so high that it would be lethal. And so you're going to always have a population of people who are going to overdo something. And quite honestly, I've used cannabis so often to help patients come off of opioids or even to come off of methadone or crack Um i I don't worry about them overdoing it because if they do at least they'll live through it, and perhaps you know with time they'll kind of outgrow this you know so so i I don't worry too much about that, except with adolescents you know the adults i'm I'm not yeah. too concerned
0: obviously, so we really don't in in talking about this, we really don't want to condone the use of this for you know junior high school students because there are some studies that suggest that there are some neurodevelopmental consequences. Some studies suggest, suggested it heightens the rate of uh, schizophrenia, but other studies suggest that these are people who were destined to become schizophrenic anyway. To, to, well, the pot didn't yes. cause it. It just sort of uncovered their susceptibility. Um, but
1: it, Yes, actually, and I just would like to interject that sure. THC and CBD have antipsychotic benefits. And so the thought is that some patients who are in the early stages of psychosis and may not have been identified um, are actually um, self-medicating and, and getting some relief from using the cannabinoid from
0: the very troubling symptoms that they have. It sort of has a calmative mm-hmm. effect. Okay. Well, so, you know, key question here is, can you get relief from various conditions? Is it efficacious at doses or in forms that minimize the high? Cause I think that's, you know, Frankly, yeah, we spent a lot of our early lives trying to get whatever—stoned, drunk—you know—get out of our heads. I think we, as you know, responsible adults as we age, we want to maintain mental focus. Many of us have, you know, have a lot of responsibilities. We're already (laughs) worried about losing our memory, so we want the benefits, but we don't want we not necessarily desirous of the high.
1: Well, the plant has about 500 compounds. 150 of them are particular to the cannabis plant. Of those compounds, there are only one or two that have any type of intoxicating effect. The most well-known, of course, is THC. There's a metabolite of THC that is mildly intoxicating, but it's also very sedating, so it's great for sleep. When you use CBD and THC together, they actually potentiate each other, in terms of their medicinal benefits, but the CBD will mitigate the intoxicating effect of the THC, which makes it um, beneficial for patients who need the THC, but who do not want to experience any mental impairment.
0: So this the CBD uh, has been advertised as something that has the benefits without the high. I mean, maybe there's you feel a little more mellow, there's some relief of anxiety, but you don't feel like... You can't get behind the wheel of a car and, and you know, drive uh, through the night. It's not going to make you steer off no. the road or, or, you know, lose your judgment.
1: No, there's no intoxicating effect with CBD. So people can use CBD or CBD with a small amount of THC and be completely clear-minded. They can work, they can drive, they can... Sign contracts. They're completely in control. It's only when THC is used by itself that it's intoxicating.
0: Okay, so in your book, a continuing theme is different strokes for different folks and different conditions. It's highly individualized, and also yes. the theme that less is more. That you know, you don't need yes. to get completely blasted, <laughs> you know, to get relief from pain uh, or to get uh, some of the. Benefits in terms of digestion, the meds, sleep, and so on.
1: Right. You don't have to be high or stoned at all. Um, now, a little bit of, um, of intoxication can be a benefit for some patients. You know, one, one, one person's adverse effect is another can be another person's benefit. For patients who are um, have a, um, suffered um, continuous chronic severe pain, patients going through Serious illnesses, um, severe depression, sometimes just being a little bit um, intoxicated or uh, relaxed can can actually offer a respite for these patients, where right? they it takes their mind off of their um, their pain, it takes their mind off of their um, their situation, and and so it. It can be a benefit, and it's certainly a small amount of THC can go a long way in terms of treating symptoms like pain. Actually, THC works better at mm-hmm. low to moderate doses than it does at high doses. So when you get into really high doses, you're actually um, losing a little bit of the pain-relieving benefit. When patients are, are asked, or people are looking for really high doses yeah. of THC, they probably have more. Um, of an issue with tolerance than, um, an actual medical condition.
0: When you say tolerance, did it require more and more? Uh, and?
1: Yeah, because we have this endocannabinoid system. It's a receptor system. We make our own, um, compounds in the body to interact or to activate these receptors and THC activates them as well. And when the system sees too much THC around, it starts to shut down receptors. Because the whole system is there to create balance or homeostasis, so when it sees a lot of THC, it says, "Well, we don't need so many receptors," so it starts to shut down some of the receptors. And so, pa or these really wouldn't be patients, but people who are using high doses of THC um, will find that they need more and more mm-hmm. to get the same euphoric effect. But it is, um, if if it is a patient who who is using high doses for, let's say, if they're treating cancer or um, some other, you know, symptom, and they need to, um, and they find that their dose isn't working any longer, all they need to do is stop using it for about three or four mm. days, and then these receptors are released. That's sort of they, like a reboot of their,
0: their 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 receptors. Yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Exactly. So I think a big question for a lot of our listeners, many of our listeners are attuned to the benefits of CBD, uh, CBD is now more widely available. It can be ordered uh, online or it's found in, you know, many health food stores. Uh, and uh, I've seen it more and more in sort of these boutique stores in New York City. Uh, certain parts of the country, less so, but, you know, I think it's more of a free fire zone here in, in New York. Um, okay. The What about the, the difference between people who respond to CBD alone and the people who may require... Um, a THC-CBD combo.
1: Yes. um, CBD actually has more medical benefits than THC and many patients do very well with CBD. CBD and THC together though seem to work a little bit better and CBD doesn't really interact with the receptor directly. Um, THC does. CBD is thought to interfere with the metabolism of the cannabinoids that our bodies make sort of like a serotonin reuptake inhibitor so that um CBD inhibits the enzyme that breaks down anandamide which is one of the cannabinoids that our bodies make and so by doing that it increases our natural endocannabinoid levels hmm. but the the THC interacts directly with the receptor and most importantly it interacts directly with the the neuron, with the pain neuron, so that once that signal is activated, um, the signal uh, can be turned off by THC. CBD doesn't do that directly. CBD does that indirectly by increasing anandamide, which will turn the signal off. THC can turn the signal off. And there are quite a number of pain syndromes that are thought to be due to endocannabinoid Deficiency. So by adding these cannabinoids, you're kind of boosting your your, your endocannabinoid system to work more efficiently.
0: Uh, what's interesting, and when you contrast uh, uh, THC versus CBD, you know a lot of people talk about uh, the munchies when they smoke pot. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. sort of like a famous uh, trope from a Cheech and Chong movie. You know, they just mm-hmm. hit the hit the drive-in and uh, chow down. Uh, but mm-hmm. CBD. Uh, you note in the book has opposite effects, and I've noticed several of my patients, uh, have told me that they, they are less impulsive about craving sugar, uh, and carbohydrates when they, when they take CBD alone, as opposed to getting the munchies.
1: It's, it's a number of mechanisms. One, CBD suppresses appetite, it also regulates glucose and fat metabolism. And so I I commonly see patients back who have lost weight. They're using CBD. They've lost weight. Um, Their insulin levels are, their doses are down. Their blood sugars are coming down. Their hemoglobin A1Cs are are improving. Um, It it really is about uh, modulation and getting things back in balance. Even patients who typically use THC and do have appetite stimulation, they tend to have lower body fat percentages than people who do not use cannabis. Hmm. And it's because it influences all of these other mechanisms. So they, um, they're utilizing these calories perhaps more efficiently.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, okay. This is a good point at which to pause because we divide our podcast into two parts. Uh, but in part two, I want to get into some specific applications. So we're going to talk about pain. We're going to talk about, uh, stress and anxiety, uh, we'll talk even about uh, cancer, Alzheimer's disease, and digestive ailments. There's a lot of applications mm-hmm. uh, to a mm-hmm. variety of conditions, even more than I've just enumerated. We'll take that up in part two with today's yeah. guest. Uh, she is uh, Patricia Fry, MD, uh, written a great book, The Medical Marijuana Guide, Cannabis and Your Health. I recommend it very highly. Oops, that's a double entendre. <laughs> you tend to do that sometimes when you talk about this kind of stuff. Um, go out and score it. Uh, there we go again. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. We'll be right back.